Hi everyone and welcome to the This Week in British History podcast. Before we get started, this is an audio version of the YouTube series This Week in British History, which is available on the British History Tours uh, uh, channel. So just to let you know that if you want to watch so that you also get the visuals, there is a link in the show notes on this podcast, which will give you the link to YouTube. But I've also recorded this, so in a way that I hope you can enjoy it fully also as a podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of This Week in British History with me, Philippa Lacey Brawl. And if you're a history lover, then you are definitely in the right place. This is where each week I do a roundup of some of the events which happened in British history. I can't say British history, so maybe one week I'll be able to do that. Um, where that had happened in the week running up to today. Today is the 5th of July, so we're going to be covering events which happened between the 29th of June and the 5th of July. This week we have a fire at Shakespeare's Globe, the opening for the first time of Tower Bridge, the adoption of SOS as the international distress signal, the first English, that's key, Prince of Wales and the birth of the National Health Service. On the 29th of June 1613 the Globe Theatre, which is on Bankside, burnt down. A cannon had been fired, it was a prop cannon, cannon, not a real cannon, but had been fired uh, during a performance of Henry VIII. The, uh, I don't know what they call it, the wadding or whatever, which had been thrown out of the, uh, the cannon, uh, set fire to the thatched roof. I'm doing this because I'm imagining the trajectory. <laughs> and, uh, and so caught fire. No one apparently was injured, but the theatre was ruined. The theatre was rebuilt in a different location with this time a tiled roof and remained doing performances and open as a theatre until 1642 when the Puritan government shut all theatres. The current Globe Theatre that you can go and visit now on Bankside is in, again, a different area to the original Globe. However, you can go and walk the short distance uh, from the, what is now the Globe to where that Globe Theatre once stood. Now you will notice that the Globe Theatre, the reconstruction has a thatched roof and special permission had to be granted for that after all thatched roofs were actually banned following the Great Fire of London of 1666. On the 30th of June 1894, Tower Bridge was officially opened by the then Prince and Princess of Wales. So Tower Bridge is the one that is right next door to the Tower of London and it is famously the one that the road moves up and out of the way for ships to go through up and down the Thames. Technically the bridge is what is known as a bascule bridge. Um, I hope I've got that right. It's after the French word for seesaw and at its time of opening was the largest example of that in the world. Originally there were high level walkways so that people could continue to use the bridge even when it was opened but those were removed in 1910. So apparently it now opens around 800 times a year, which is on average about twice a day, slightly more than twice a day, um, which is incredible because I would have thought I'd seen it a bit more. <laughs> so I'm feeling a bit gutted that I haven't seen it uh, work quite as often as I, I should do for the amount that I normally in, I'm normally in London. But anyhow, that is nothing compared to how often it was being opened when it was originally um, installed. And it was opening around 17 times a day. 
On the 1st of July 1908, SOS was adopted as the International Distress Signal. It was agreed that SOS should be adopted at the first International Radio Telegraph Convention, very exciting, I'm sure it was, in November 1906 and became effective 1st of July 1908. Now, despite it coming into use in 1908 or becoming effective in 1908, um, it wasn't widely um, po more popularly used until 1912. 1912 may ring some bells in your mind if you are a Titanic fan. Titanic indeed used both the signal that came that was more that was used before SOS um, was used and indeed used SOS as well. And there is an incredible YouTube um, video done by. Um, an account called Canada Dan and I will find the link I will either pop up here or I'll put it in the show notes and what he has done is transcribed the messages that were sent from and to Titanic on that fateful night and the audio audio is the Morse code if you're interested in the Titanic it is a it's it's a very emotional watch um, because you can not only read the messages you can hear the rate at which those messages were being delivered and that gets more and more uh, excitable fast as as time progresses very haunting but well well worth a watch and you can see in that transcript that they used SOS they also used CDQ which was what was used prior to SOS CDQ had been the distress call mandated by the Marconi company, which were the manufacturers of the radios at the time. The first distress message from Titanic read CDQ, this is Titanic, and it was repeated six times before Titanic then gave its position. But the later messages started to use SOS as well as CDQ, along with details of lifeboats being launched and areas of the ship flooding. Now there are many theories as to what SOS stands for. Save our souls, save our sausages, I think I've heard. Don't know others, maybe you've know some others <laughs> you've heard as well. But it could be that they've actually all, all been attributed after the fact and it's just merely down to its Morse code, which is three dots, three dashes, three dots, and easily remembered, easily repeatable. On the 2nd of July, 1301, Edward of Carnarvon became the first English Prince of Wales. Edward had been born at Carnarvon Castle, hence Edward of Carnarvon, and would later become Edward II. He was the son of Edward I and had been born at Carnarvon Castle in April 1284. Wales already had their own Prince of Wales, Llewellyn ab Griffith, who had become Prince of Wales as the Lord over all the Welsh chieftains. In turn, he accepted overlordship of Edward I of England. Edward I you may know as the Hammer of the Scots and he did not take what he saw as insurrection very lightly at all. So when Llewellyn and his brother Daffid led a rebellion against the English, Edward was determined to show who was in charge once and for all. Llewellyn was killed in battle but his brother Daffid was captured, given up by his own people while he was trying to hide on Mount Snowdon. He was tried and found guilty of treason and this was the first time a rebellion had been treated as treason. Apparently a new crime required a new punishment and Daffid, rather inevitably, became the first person to endure the horrors of being hung, drawn and quartered. 
Edward I claimed Wales as a Principality of England and when his son Edward, who had been born on Welsh soil, turned 16, he conferred the title of the Prince of Wales on him. Despite being the fourth of Edward's sons, he was the only surviving son and was therefore heir apparent to the throne. And from then on, the heir to the throne has always had the title Prince of Wales. On the 5th of July 1948, the National Health Service came into being. Now, the National Health Service was part of a larger welfare state um, that was being enacted after World War II. And the thoughts behind it, the, the reports, the, the investigations into it, it all began during World War II when the coalition government wanted to have ideas as to how Britain was going to rebuild after the war. And the idea behind a national health service and a welfare state was that everyone could access help when they needed it, regardless of the ability to pay. And if you have a healthier population, you have a happier population and a more prosperous population. And this is what is needed to rebuild a country following war. Before this point, hospitals and doctors were organised on a more local uh, basis. You had sort of cottage hospitals run by local councils and general practitioners, your local doctor, would pay for, would, sorry, would charge for their services. And there was some kickback from the medical community themselves as to how this would work. But overall, this was an extremely welcome idea. The fact that anyone could access healthcare that they needed at the point they needed it without needing to worry whether they could afford it or not. By combining everyone who was working in the medical and, and care professions, the NHS became the largest employer in the UK, or actually in Europe, I think, in a stroke. Today, the NHS employs over 1.4 million people and has an annual budget, coronavirus aside, of £134 billion. As this episode airs, the NHS is celebrating their 72nd birthday, Thank you so much for watching this episode of This Week in British History or listening if you're listening on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you dropping in each week and giving this a listen. Please come over and find me on Instagram and Facebook as well. I am trying to use Pinterest as I keep promising. Um, if you're on there as well, please come over and find me there. In the meantime, take care. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.